today. My name is Jessie French. I'm the Deputy Creative Director of Empagui. And I'm here with our wee Caroline. And I might hand over to her to do a quick welcome. We're going to do a short one because I know it's a long, hot day today. And we don't want the storm coming. I hear this. I'm hearing there's a storm going to approach us later on today. So in the language, and we talk about welcome, but welcome is about connecting and it's about a story. And it just doesn't say welcome. It means come. Ask to come and what's your intention for coming? To listen to me. No, but it's about asking the stories about why people make those sounds. Like you can go to New Zealand and we all know, because we've been inducted about, it's the word kiora. So, you know, wherever we go around the world, we like to pay respects to the language groups and the people of their lands, you know. So it's something that we need to embed into culture of Melbourne. Um, so it's Wamanjika, Marambikbik, Bunarong, Namda, Barapton, Ata, Willem. This is something we had to understand and learn, so it's about a 25 years of trying to gather language again and find how we talk, say it in a linguistic, using the linguistic framework. So it means, welcome to our beautiful home, the lands of the two great bays, Nam being Port Villa Bay and Marin being Western Port Bay. So it gives you context of the boundaries. The beautiful river that runs past us is known by the Europeans as the Yarra, but to us it means the Birrarung. Translates means the river of mist. It's not only just a source for transport, it was the lifeblood of the Kulin nation as the waters flowed into our, what we know as our great bay, Nurm or Port Phillip. So it is understanding. Coming together is about Learning, showing respect, celebration of life and respecting sacred ground. And that's what welcome is, to understand your connection to where you are now and place. Isn't this an amazing... Every year we come in here and there's a new M Pavilion. And I think it's an amazing... And it has great acoustics and I'm trying to deal with it. And um, I had one of my family members do opera here the other night and she wrote the score and I put it into language. So it resonated right through the garden, didn't it, Jessie? So maybe these are the sorts of things. This place to us would be called a wheelin, where we all come together. It's like an amphitheatre and I think the person from Holland that designed it he saw it as a native, what was he, a traditional indigenous space, didn't he? Because of the, the planting, the amphitheatre. So these are the really good things. So we welcome you all here today and pay our respects to our lands and to our ancestors and elders and to our future young. Thank you. Nungujin. Thank you. That was beautiful. That was a short one. You have been uh, incredibly generous with us in sharing stories. And this season at M Pavilion, we, we like to start our days with rituals. And this season, we are starting our day with a ritual that is um, some pre-recorded stories from, from Noe Carolyn. 
Um, I wanted to uh, open up, um, I think I'd like to open this space for you more than for me to speak since you're very, very good at it. Um, and I wanted to ask you, what stories mean to you? What's, what, story, what stories meant to me? Well, we didn't have all the wonderful picture books in those days and, and it was about learning your life ways, about story was making sense of the intangible and years later to make it into a tangible base of understanding your place in the world. So stories were about listening, learning to see, learn to listen, learn to not ask questions. And it was about how we processed those things in our lives that were set up to protect us. So it was about, yeah, knowing family, knowing about the ways to hunt, how to find food. Everything had a, a story to, to aim for you to get to place and understand the place that you're travelling through. And also about the waterways because the waterways had that impact on our lives. I was moved up Melbourne. I was born Melbourne and then I went and stayed, lived with my auntie when she was having her other child and I was brought up with her for a while and then finally my mum come and she survived and promised to stay with me till I was 21 and she did. So I often wonder what was the legacy and those legacies of what she gave me was preparing me for my life ways. So stories for me, it wasn't a picture book. We didn't have those things. We had just... Everyone imported about stories, songs, just growing up in a normal childhood differently to whatever that I learnt later, how Western people use books as a tool. So really listening and telling stories was our tool to make sense of our world at that period of time. It's beautiful. We, we, uh, we spoke to you a lot. Well, we've had lots of conversations, but the other day we were talking to you about what it means to be an elder. And you mentioned at the end of that that you have a specific way of telling, of answering questions like that, um, and that it comes a full circle before it gets to the answer. And I thought that was a really nice way of doing it. Because if you think about when you're going into, into different communities... It is, a, it is about the circle and it's about life. And we speak circular, <laughs> you know, we don't speak linear. So that's one, one of the other differences that makes us a little bit different is about our conversations and it's about also that listening. And I, as like I said, stories were also preparing my life ways. And, I, you know, it didn't... Our culture was not a questioning culture. So when the old people told you stories... You make sense of it and it's that journey of creating new stories and, ah, that trigger of, I remember that story. So the role of being an elder, I don't know, that's something, it's a word that's Western. So Nawi is the one that's a holder of knowledge and that knowledge is something transmitted to you over the generations and everybody has that impact. And when I travel... I listen. 
I don't try to speak. I listen to the community. Different communities have different stories. So it starts to scaffold your learning process. Scaffolding is about how we teach children and, and you learn how to make, these, make sense of these stories. So it was all about stars. It was all about the hunting or collecting food. It, it was about help sustain how to deal with these complexities in our life. So, Elder, hmm, I think I think, think with the stories, I think it was that process of that legacy that my mother kept embedding stories because I was paralysed for a long time. I had what I think was polio in the early um, 50s down in Gippsland and it was that sort of thing that she had a captured audience. I wasn't going anywhere. We were now transitioning into a very multicultural because of migrants coming into country, working at the powerhouse. So there was diversities of groups. And I think they didn't come with the baggage. So my mother had a really nice influence by different groups of people, the Maltese, the Italians, the Greeks. And moments of other people coming into our lives and then you had the Dutch and your Germans. They were all transitioning, so trying to survive. So my mum ha had the issue with me and I think it was because of the support of the, the local parish or whatever they were, pastors, what do they call them, um, from the Presbyterians. They came to give me my rights Somehow she played with her medicines and stuff like that and kept massaging and keeping me warm. He'd chop the wood, he'd hang out the washing. This was about that generosity, whether he was saving my soul or whatever it was, I'm not sure. And then all the other family groups coming and helping her because it was about that community. So these were something... and. You grow up, you grow up, and then things start to change. I used to see white people coming to our house, inspecting our house. When we were under a, a section of the Act, it was the Protection Act, and they were till 58, and then to 69, that State Act continued on, and then I started to see the same people. I just thought they were part of the family, just dropping in, checking you. But they had another criteria that impacted on your life. So those things are very challenging and complex. But it also gave me... I saw the opportunities to take go further. Elder, you go and live in communities, you listen, you listen. The diversities, not everyone is the same. They're diverse groups of people. And you grow up in different groups and communities, so you listen. And then one day they say, you speak now. Oh, me? That was my learning process. And I had to fight the battles, because you see a lot of things of injustices. So you fight a battle. And you see things changing and mobilising, particularly in Melbourne in the 60s, late 60s, 70s. So the, we were, it was opening up to get our rights 
and our needs to help us transition to the next stage. And I think it came out of the lot to do with the Whitlam era. So getting education, Western way. Um, but never seeing where we fitted, I suppose that was part of it. So that learning and finding that voice to create the narratives for when you're fighting for things. They call us, what is it, they call you activists if you talk up. So no, it was really just being, fighting for the rights of, about the injustice with what we're incurring on people. But I had the privilege of living in a very big city that I could just move through and going into a, back into a small country town like a place called Dayton and Kumiala and fighting, and probably right up to 1980, fighting for the people's rights. And that, that was the ch challenge. And I come back and I worked at Monash after setting up the childcare centre that I trained in. So there was a whole different ways of telling story. So then that leadership or whatever label they put on us, auntie or elder, you have to go with it because you've got to be quite understanding of what you know about your history, about how you guide young people through. Because it was really about the responsibility of an older person teaching young ones and how they transition to the future and using different skills and that. That's probably what a lot of it is. So I had to take it on, but then everybody puts a label on you to be an elder. But it's not. It's not the customary. There's processes you have to go through. And I suppose they're the processes I had to learn about, but I have a very much a Western way of looking at things too, as well as my indigeneity about the epistemologies of knowledges and how I transmit that knowledge. And I'm nervous. My back is hurting. You okay? Yeah. All right. I thought it was um, really interesting something you, you mentioned the other day about um, taking on the responsibility of, of this role that's been ascribed to you as Bestowed. elder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned that uh, it wasn't about kind of how, how old you are and all of that. It's about what you do. It's what you give back. Mm. And what you leave. And how, how, yeah, it's all about that. And it's, well, it just happens to be that I was older, so. Um, but you have to learn and you have to earn the rights. It's about earning the rights and being recognised that you have a voice and you can create a narrative in a very Western structure. Now I'm doing language and linguistics. I'm off next week to go and do more workshops because I'm writing a dictionary. See, I even have to use the tool of the Western way to be able to tr transmit the knowledge in, in a book or theatre or dance or songs, you know. So I suppose you have to leave, create those new ways of expressing story because we don't have... We it would be great if we were all curries, but if we... <laughs> sitting here and having a fire and telling stories. So maybe you're in my new little clan group. Don't know. So that's okay. And I think it's that understanding. And understand the complexities of 
um, how we tell a story. We can tell it through song, dance, listening, for the purpose of what listening is about and what you're teaching. On that, I wonder if, um, if there's anyone in the audience that has any questions they'd like to ask. And this young man is? Brendan. Brendan. I had to make him go and get everything else for me. So, Brendan, went, I've seen you before. Up there. Not you. <laughs> can, can you tell us a story about when you were very young, please? When I was very young, the very young was because we, shared, we had family and all your cousins. They were all just together. We lived on the riverbank at Mooliman because um, my grandfather's place got burnt out in, in the 30s and, and we, they made a makeshift, but it was, I think, what people love to go out and camp now, but it, it was a normal life. They'd go and fish. Then I saw my mother swimming. But it was all the watching and seeing things and stories would be at night too. Our bedtime stories is what you do now, isn't it? But it was understanding how we could read land and how we could read the stars. Because the old people say what's in the heavens is reflected on earth. And we had to make sense of that. And trying to, you know, you never question. Why would they be lying to you or why would they make it up? We never question. I think that's a Western culture, asking questions, wanting the instant answers, where our, our way of growing up is listening. Yeah. And then it doesn't come till you go to school in a Western structure. They expect you to ask, and you used to sit there and go, they want me to ask a question? That, that to me, is a, a, a challenge. And I, I'm challenging their way of... I don't... It's questioning. You, you really, you dem they want you to look at them and they want you to question and you go, but we learn to listen with our ears. We learn to see with our eyes. We learn to speak when we needed to speak. Yes, that's a good answer because often you don't know enough to ask a question, do you? No. And you just hear the repetition or the way we learn things, the way we happy. Yeah. We were happy. We had each other to play. We never questioned, did you understand that? No. We just knew that it suited the way we lived. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense, yep. I used to feel sorry for the adults when we had picnics and they were eating and drinking and we were exploring the creek at Beckley's Bridge in the Dandenongs and definitely... Enjoyed being a child, not an adult at that and stage. And that's what it was. Yeah. And when we used to explore and then we went, like I said, I went down to Gippsland because my father got work. And um, I used to drag this kid around with me everywhere because I didn't have a little sister. So, and, and different cultural groups didn't play out. Not as free as what we did. So we'd go and explore things. And we'd be in the creek beds... We nearly got caught out because her dog <laughs> got stuck. And, yeah, but we used to just explore because we knew we kept ourselves safe. It was just an unwritten code to explore. Because, you know, you played with kids and you enjoyed their food. And, and you get a little bit of 
things and he worked out how you could make pocket money and to go to see a movie. It was all those things that you become creative. Mm, sounds the Thank way you. a childhood should be. A child yeah. should explore yeah. and play. And they do the self-discovery because exactly. a child, so soon as it's born in here, it's learning, mm. the rhythms. It comes out, opens its eyes, it's learning, it's constantly learning and it's transmitting knowledge to make sense of their new world the, at, out there. So when we talk about children learning in the learning process, it's about their exploration. They're exploring from the time they breathe and, and then how they somewhere see something and how they smell you. So if a little grandchild said to you, Grandma, can you tell me a story, how might you begin? We go out and explore together. I think some people up there know that we do bush kindy. Ah. You know, and we go out and find different things and it's about their connection with you. And, and, and I haven't got all the answers. No. So they find the answers yeah. and they create their story. Does that make sense? That makes a and lot of sense. And then you give them language and they scaffold that learning process up because they already know. You're just guiding them mm -hmm. because it's the guiding. Good they answer. learn to see yeah. things and explore habitats and the way we used to. Didn't ask questions, just went to it. In yeah. fact, discovered things. Yeah. yeah. No, that sounds good. Very interesting. Yep. Thank you. Caroline, I'd like to know how many Aboriginal people live in the Melbourne region. I know in around Geelong there are about 2,000. And I have absolutely no feel for how many Aboriginal people might be living in Melbourne today. Would you happen to know? In Melbourne today, because of the census, you've got a lot of... In peoples coming in from other parts of Australia. The majority of Victorians who are part of this state as we know it are, are related because of, I suppose, the impact of change and moving from one reserve to another reserve and marriage lines and connection. So, yes, it may have grown and some of my rallies have gone to Geelong in that region. So there's a whole different way... Remember, it was about a diaspora. People were moved and people came from other states or countries to come into places. We were at Corandirk and they rounded up people from um, the missions down in Ebenezer and they all, and, you know, the group that way and settled up at Corandirk. And you've got to remember the half-caste act and people were then relocated to Maloga and then to Kamragunja. We know who they are. And then one lot, because they might have been darker features, went down to Gippsland. But they're all families. Right. People don't understand the family connections and who is who. We keep remembering, and that's the genealogy, reminding each other, I am the daughter of and she was the daughter of. And that's, that's probably something we continue to do wherever I travel throughout the state or interstate or even in Australia, because I was studying up in Darwin and there was always that connection and everybody would piece you together because you're a part of a jigsaw. And then we have a lot of interstate because jobs are here. <laughs> a lot of people come into the public service and 
and they have to go through that process. So they're located. If you're looking at the the people who are traditionally from here, it's different numbers system. And it keeps growing. Great. Growing. And I don't know why that's... Because we're never quite clear. There's more Tasmanians in than there is in the Northern Territory. I start to go, really? So um, it's those sort of things that we have to keep an eye on because people... Uh, there was a lot of Asian, when I was in Bendigo, a lot of Asian used to tick Indigenous or Aboriginal because there was nothing else that fitted the... So they connected and I said, God, my students have grown. But it's those sort of things. We have to keep, as long as we know who our families are and that we don't marry wrong way and uh, our children, you, you know, ring me up, my grannies ring me up. I've met so-and-so. Is she related? <laughs> and I go, yep. And this is how she's related. So it's, it, it gets to know it a little bit more personal. I suppose it's like other cultures knowing where families fit because that's a part of what connections are, isn't it? Yeah. We're always exploring. So now I've got grandchildren from um, the Torres Strait, Jamaica... Um, now, um, from China. So I'm getting a real mix here, creating my own new world. So, and um, it's a new Sri Lanka. So I've just got one more to get rid of. So whoever she chooses. And how she creates new stories. Yeah, Hi. Can take it out. Oh. Thank you very much for your words. Um, you were talking earlier about stories to children. Uh, I wonder if you could talk more about stories for adults. How do we continue to learn uh, as adults? As adults, I think a lot of the stories are about a metaphor. How to learn how not to break rules. Gently. But there's also some pretty <laughs> horrendous stories in there too. Uh, it's whether people want to listen. Um, I tell a, to a story about the time of chaos on my possum skin. And it is about... It could be a metaphor for all sorts of times of chaos in our society... But it's also, a, but it is a real story about the bay. When we, 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 it was the way old people told the story that we broke law because it, you've got to understand the context of our world. Our world wasn't connecting to the rest of society further on. So our world was about the presence and where you were. So when the old people tell a story, they told it to the white fellas and the last of our are we, old Deramat and telling Faulkner, telling um, Thomas, and they're the old ones who have these records. So they're very, he was a Welshman and he was saving our souls, bless him. He came from Wales. And these are the symbols that we tried to, without copying someone else's work, because our stories. And if you go, like I showed you this morning, 
our, our welcoming message stick. So it was trying to implement imagery that is different to other artwork or what you now know as artwork from different countries around Australia. So when you tell a story, you can take adults on a story to find their inner child and, and learn, teach them to be silent with that and watching and walking. And it's, in, it's a really hard thing to do because people want to know everything all at once. So we often I used to take people out bush with the old people and let the old people, because it's their stories, not my stories, and they have to listen very carefully. And adults used to love it and they used to explore the hunting of the emu or tracking for the eggs and learning all the mysteries of life when they're hearing the drumming of the emu and then tracking those emus. So it's a different way of how we teach adults. We take them out just like children because we've got to find the inner child and allowing people to sit with it and make sense of it because the answers are within yourselves. It's nothing new. It's just the way we tell the story and guide you through those many landscapes. Yeah, we're learning to write the books now, trying to give people context because everybody's in a hurry in these days. We're trying to use digitals, digitising the stories so that it's instant, which worries me because it is about the exploration of the journey. Does that help you? A lot, thank you. And we say to people, find the inner child. Because you're trying to put 50,000 years in a condensed little box and try and understand the complexities of those. But we were lucky. The, the old fellas had a leg left a legacy with some white fellas wrote it in their own genre of a period of time. But then you got to dig down and extract that and put it with what you remember as stories growing up. Does that make sense? It's hard work from our point of view. But we have to make sense of it too from a Western way of seeing things and then try and use the tools of today's society to embed it. But it is wonderful to go out on a walk, eat bush tucker, explore the mysteries of life and our connection to places and animals and life. Well, wow. these are the new explorations from different people who give us gifts. And it's usually about natural resources. So, and the patternings that people want to tell a story and giving us some of their tools. So, you've got the message stick, you've got the clap sticks, you've got the where you gathered and held the food. Someone made me a collecting the bird feathers. Uh, now we, then we get into modern technology and crocheting. <laughs> usually we use the grasses, but, you know, to chase them after grass. We then, and then we have to look at the patterns and the designs of how our people presented themselves in the early records to the 
to Melbourne society in those days. And they did record. So it gives us opportunities that there's two ways of looking at life. It's not always just one singular um, right or wrong. It's about the diversities of that. Because everybody brings a different story and will tell it in a different way. But it's their exploration of their cultures or their diversity. But we, we like to be rigorous about what we need to know and what we can share. Because some cultures in, in Australia, they're secret, sacred stuff. You don't need to know. That's a journey of your induction into that community or that world. So we had to work at looking at old things, and these are emu tail feathers. We were talking about emus the other day, weren't we? Yeah, barramal. And you can read him in the night sky so we know when to collect the eggs, and you can't eat him because he's been nesting for so long looking after the, the chicks because the female leaves. In a lot of the animal kingdom, is the, the males looked, <laughs> have got the responsibility of bringing up children in the early stage. So, and there's a certain time. So we had to learn about seasons. We had to learn about the way we could read the sky when it was time to find resources like certain foods. And when we couldn't eat meat... When we, could eat, when we couldn't eat shellfish or fish during their spawning season. So there's rules. And those rules are, to, like I said, to guide us to the future. In that sort of world that we lived in, now we can go to the supermarket. But now and again I go out and forage and I know where to go because I know what I'm looking for. Because I used to run a big restaurant at one stage. So the emu is a part of the adornment. The adornment is to write your ceremony on your body in some cultures. Um, we, in our group, there's not very many of us left. In a, and, I, you know, you do get challenged and you do have to go through a Western system to fight the battles. Um, I won, 2003, because everybody claims me to be Wemba Wemba or... Wiradjuri or Tasmanian, which I made up of all of them. And um, I had to find where she originally was taken from and all the records in the ship's diaries. So it was my exploration about my connection to people and place. So it just doesn't happen. So when you find that voice, you have to be rigorous of what knowledge you want to share out there. Can you tell us about what's illustrated on the possum skin down here? Well, we, we burnt into it using hot irons, but traditionally it would have been some sort of burning stick. Um, modern technology helps us. <laughs> um, creating a time of chaos was when that beautiful bay we know as Port Phillip was a large, empty, flat plain where our people hunted and gathered and their murnong. And then there was a time when the waters rose. Science tells us to look at something else now, but the old people said we, we broke law with nature. 
And that was their world of telling us something was wrong. We were becoming, we were fighting with our neighbours. We were over, over killing and not always eating. It's a real metaphor today, isn't it? But they're old stories. They're old stories. So I went down to a place down at um, in the Western District, and I was talking to one of the families down at Portland. And we looked at, um, he was telling me a story with science. And he said there was a, a, a massive tsunami that hit across 10,000 years ago from Madagascar and came across and the volcanoes erupted. So the, wa the waters broke in the Western Port Bay. And that was science telling us another way of seeing things. So maybe there's a balance there. But that actually, the river, that river actually runs all the way out through to our bay, right down. It's about a 100-metre drop waterfall that floods, goes out to the what we say is the Tamar. So it's a long journey that river goes. But they changed the river course here because, you know, in every, every planning of different, taking over different countries, they changed the water course. They made it straight. They changed, definitely changed the whole thing. But I've actually got the old patterns of where the river course ran. So came up through here and down past our beautiful old tree in, in Albert Park, which is about 700 years old. So it witnessed a lot of changes. And we forget the tree has knowledge too. we just got to learn to speak what the tree would remember. So we journeyed that out. And where St Kilda and Elwood was really... The waters came up to what we know as St Kilda. So they changed the place to reclaim it, to live. So where I live, it's a bullock, it's mud flats. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, lagoons, lakes that was in our landscape, but it's all been changed. So... We have to keep remembering of where place is. Luckily, the old surveyors drew up those maps. So science helps us. We do a little bit cheat. But even when we go around looking after the bay, we see the stuff that has been spewed up from the old volcanoes. So it starts to make sense. Because if you do that line from Portland right down to Wilson's Prom, you can imagine the, the emergence of the water taking over land. The land will take over. The water will take over one day. It will pay us back one day. It's an emergence. We love water. So when we talk about with children, we teach them about fire and the importance of fire and stop the fear and when we create the story with children because they always like to poke at things and we go... There's little spirits in there and they might jump out and bite you because we talk about it being alive and how we could contain it and, and celebrate fire without the fear, but how do we have to protect it? We are responsible, so we have to protect fire. We have to protect water as we have to protect them. So it is all those metaphors about responsibility to our merging young leaders the future. And sometimes it's just laying down under the stars, learning. So if you come in the morning, 
I think we did a recording in the studios about creation, Bunjil's creation, and how he's now part of the Altia, the star system. Uh, Wah had to blow him all the way, open up his bag of wind and allow him to rise so he can keep an eye out from the heavens. Like I said, the old people say what's up there is reflected on earth. I want you to think about those sort of statements. And that's their world, remember? We live in this world now. So we have to record everything. Hello. We have to record everything. So, so that you will hear these stories. We have storytelling. We have dance. We'll have song. So we teach our little people how to sing country up. Be a part of country. Because I find a lot of young ones want to belong to place. No, I think we've got enough room. Plenty of parkland out there. And allow kids to explore. Because that's their story. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, the stories are going to be playing each morning, I think, at 9 o'clock. And at the moment, there's seven. But we, uh, we may be adding to that if you have some more stories throughout the season. But at the moment, um, there'll be a different one every day. And I urge you to come and, come and have a listen, have a morning tea, and look at the stars. And just remember, it's, uh, it's a way we explain our world. We have the story of the, the duck and the rakali made a platypus. So we have to make sense of why that creature looks like a duck and looks like a rat. So <laughs> think about it. Two, two different opposing... But they came together and created a beautiful little creature. So that was the way story tells. Sometimes there's some stories that remind us to behave. Well, thank you so much for your time and, um, and thank you for your stories. We'd also like to make sure that um, as part of the stories that there is a, an inherent acknowledgement that M Pavilion is on Awit Carolyn and the Bunurong. Yalikat Willam means the people of the river. Mm. Bunurong is the language. And, and my ancestor, Deramit and Benbo, and, and Deramit saved the early settlers. Um, when there was a there was a conflict between Batman and Faulkner, so it's a whole different story. But if you go to the Melbourne Cemetery, you'll actually see Deramit and how he lost all his family were taken by the sealers, and I'm a product of the sealing industry. I come from Waitemotiana, Manalagena, and I come from Louise. I come from Deramit, and I come from the New South Wales. So I'm made up of a whole lot and. My white side is also Tasmanian as well, but from Derbyshire and um, Stonehenge. So I explored them too, because they're a part of me, and what makes me who I am today. Yes, I can even touch the possums. We, we um, never have to buy back. <laughs> we, we let our possums go to New Zealand and they've nearly eaten all of New Zealand out because they don't have threats. There's no foxes, snakes, or... And they get fluffier. We're only allowed to catch so many under the regulations through parks is to... But they're not as healthy looking as that. And 
So we buy back now in the pelt. Should we, uh, should we invite everyone up to come and have a look? And, and there's another thing interesting about your the possum sin cloak is when you're born, you're wrapped in one, when you're in the before blankets and all that sort of We'll put in one and then as you grow, a new story will go. It's like a storyboard and it grows and it grows with you and patterns would be put into there of what you explore. And when you pass on... You're wrapped in one. So you take your stories with you. So it's embedded in your being. So that's, that's the real, relevance of a possum skin cloak. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think ev everyone's welcome to come up and have a closer look and have a, have a chat if you want to. Thank you so much for your time today, Carolyn. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, too, because he had to go and get my bag and cart it down. Found my car, was ratting through someone else's car because they looked the same. I did say black. <laughs> they left it unlocked. You thought I was learning Arabic. It's funny because my lecturer said to me I should write the, my my book in language in Arabic I went oh okay and then he said oh, you can do it in Sanskrit and I went oh really so it'd be a challenge wouldn't it <laughs> because a lot of the kids in the Northern Territory can understand the context mm. Arabic yeah yeah believe it or not you've got to remember the Indonesians were coming in the Macassans were coming in very early a lot long before the Europeans came in. So there's a lot of influences there. You've got Dan Sultan from the Central Desert, the Afghanis came in. So people don't know country. They don't know connections to places. If they knew the stories, they'd understand. You've got to have different waves. You had the French, you had the Spanish, you had... The, you know, the Dutch, and then you had the English. So there was different layers of people impacting on this country. That's the, because of the Cameliers. Hmm. And you up and top, they came in through Broome and the Macassans, and they traded and went down into Daly River and all those places because we were doing some cooking, and I looked at my friend and I said, that food's from somewhere else and she said I'm Muslim and I went oh really <laughs> so it was something I learnt too and, and they were telling me their journey cycle and how they married into family groups in those areas so when the, my, my Ganesh my, the, my lecturer he told me that a lot of the kids find it easier to speak that than writing in English so there's these challenges. Not everything is black and white. Ah. <laughs> or Western. European or um, Middle Eastern. So it's all a journey. Find out. I always say to people, find out about your own history before you try and examine my history. <laughs>